Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Covey Wellness Center podcast. I am excited to be recording another great conversation today with another one of our partners and friends in the Covey Wellness Center network. Um, today, we have Erin Fordham with us. She is the co-founder of or- Oasis Fertility Support Network, um, and she's going to tell us all about that. So we'll be talking about that throughout our conversation. But this is um, a conversation we're going to have about fertility and about some of the, the challenges around those journeys uh, for couples and individuals who are facing that. And no one better to talk about it than Erin, who has her own <laughs> story to share and her own passion uh, for the needs of this particular niche group of people. So Erin, why don't you take us uh, right from the start and just tell us a little bit about who you are and um, what Oasis is all about and give us that background info before we get started. Okay. Thank you, Sarah. It's so nice to be here with you today. And um, thanks for having me. So my name's Erin and um, I co-founded Oasis Fertility Support Network um, earlier this year in 2023. I'm like, what year are we in? <laughs> yes, it's a blur sometimes. Uh, it's a blur. So, so yeah, we co-founded a fertility support network that is growing to support um, couples and individuals who are going through fertility treatment, who need access to fertility treatment, just because the journey can feel so alone. Mm. And i I co-founded this organization because of my 10-year journey to to finding my family, my forever family, mm-hmm. <laughs> and having my son. And um, that journey was just so hard. And, and it just felt like a lot of suffering, a lot of pain, a lot of feeling alone. And right. um, I found support through a support group while I was on my journey locally um, and, and just felt like this has to exist on a greater scale. There is just such a huge need now for... Uh, people to access this support and find other people who get it and who understand. And so I founded the network so that we could um, create space for people and hold space for people to have the hard conversations and just learn from one another and support one another and um, really just find other people who get it. Yeah, I think I think that's the power of, uh, you know, group support in these kinds of situations is that when you show up with that common ground, there's always sort of a sense in which I don't have to explain this to everybody the same way, you know, so So how, whatever it is, whatever that grief is or whatever that um, challenges that sort of bonds you together, it brings you together in the group in such a way that there's some unspoken understanding Mm -hmm. um, and there's comfort in just knowing that you aren't alone, that you're in a community of people who do get it. I think that's so powerful. And certainly that was powerful in your own journey. It sounds like as well. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I think with when you're on this journey and you're getting this diagnosis and and you're struggling through this trying challenge of trying to have a family and not being able to and not being able to control it finding other people who understand the terminology who understand what it feels right. like to not be able to control the situation to not be able to um just have the thing that you feel like should be free and should be yours and should be natural and should be sexy yeah. and all of those things you know starting right. a family and you just get robbed of all of that like in a in a you know one conversation with your doctor like this isn't going to happen naturally for you and so Mm -hmm. and so finding other people who also have that story and connecting with them because 
they're like, yeah, I get it. My, my partner or my sister's, you know, friend just announced she's pregnant and I'm, I can't go to the baby shower. Like I just can't do it. It's too hard. Somebody else that's like, I get it. Like I, I don't want to go either, you know, um, you know, that just makes such a huge difference to the journey is just finding other people who get it. That community is everything. It was for me. Yeah. yeah. And and it sounds like otherwise it's quite a silent suffering kind of situation where if sure. you don't have that community, there isn't a lot of understanding, you know, um, we're seeing more and more of this coming into the center with people who are going through these battles, going through these journeys as couples mm-hmm. and just seeing, you know, a lot of people coming in with a lot of loss and with a lot of, um, yeah, just the, like you said, like the, that news from your doctor, even just trying to reconcile that mm-hmm. and process through that. That's a really hard thing to get your mind around, to get your heart around. And yeah. so we're seeing this as a, it's an increasing struggle with fer- fertility. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it seems to be on the rise more and more couples. I'm just, you know, I'm wondering if you can speak to that challenge, what, what you think that's about and what you're seeing in the work that you're doing with this growing need, I guess I would call it. Yeah. I mean, the statistic is 16% of couples in Canada, heterosexual couples. Um, So that's one in six and that it would be same or yeah, couples, heterosexual couples that doesn't include the 2SLGBTQ plus community. So the same sex couples that want to have a baby who obviously need access to treatment or surrogacy or adoption. Um, It also doesn't include the single parents by choice, the people that just want to have a a baby who haven't found their life partner yet, but are are destined to be a parent. And so, I mean, those people aren't in that statistic. And so we actually think it's more like one in five, maybe even one in four people that need access to fertility treatment in Canada. And our statistics here are a little bit um, higher than in the U.S. It's one in eight in the U.S. So, I I mean, we don't know why Mm. more than uh, 30% of the diagnosis of infertility is unexplained. It's like, we don't know what's causing this. We can't put a a reason on it. Um, One third is typically male factor fertility. One third is typically female factor. And the other uh, third unknown. Is, is unknown and combined or whatever, a combination of the two. And wow. so um, we can't really put a finger or a blame on what's causing this. I think there are so many factors causing this. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a major one being people waiting longer to have kids. And mm-hmm. so the older we get, our, you know, our egg quality isn't as good and there's more genetic things happening. And so that could be one of it. We're waiting to start longer. And so we're waiting to find out until later that we this isn't going to work. And then it's more more of a challenge um, to have that baby than it would have been if we started in our early 20s or mid 20s. I did start in my, I mean, late 20s, 28 years old. And it still took until I was 38 when I gave birth to my, to my son and only embryo that was genetically tested. So, wow. Yeah. It's a long journey. There's so many stories. I think it's one of the phrases that I always use in therapy is that it's a combination of factors, right? And I think mm-hmm. that's true here. And and each individual person's combination of factors as to why they're going through this journey is going to yeah. differ. There may yeah. be some commonalities in that, like you say, like maybe it's male male factor. And so that's a commonality between a couple, you know, one third of the stories or whatever. But yeah. but there are all these other things that are contributing to that. And so yeah. It's important for people going back to the support. It's important for people to be able to unpack their stories and share their unique, um, you know, journey with other people and have it heard and validated because 
I mean, I think yeah. that's true in general for mental health. Like we need people yeah. to hold places for our stories, but yeah. Yeah. So the, so that's so great. Like it's definitely a rising challenge. And so that's another reason that we want to talk about it on the podcast, because obviously there are more and more people affected by this all the time. And then I think there's also ripple effects into the families, right. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, parents waiting for grandparents or, yeah, or, yeah. you know, siblings having, um, you know, family prior and, and being at different yeah. stages. Like there's just yeah. so many things that it affects in your circles that it's no, it's not a small thing for people to be going through. That's for sure. Yeah. And the, like when you're diagnosed with this, you know, infertility, the guilt, like the pressure that you feel to, yeah, like bring this baby into the world. So your, you know, sisters, kids have cousins and your parents have oh. grandkids and all of that is like, you carry all of that with the the weight of that. Not to mention the fact that this is like, usually when you start trying to have a baby, this is like something you kind of keep close to your heart for a while until, you know, you get to make that big surprise announcement, you know, we're pregnant and, and infertility robs people like of, and couples of that, of all Mm. of that, you know, that ability to like have a surprise and, and, and some people do a good job and, and they can get through it and maintain that sort of secrecy around the diagnosis. But then it's like, even you're more alone on the journey if you're, if you're handling it that Mm. way. And, and, and lots of people do, I, I would say there's people listening today who, who there are people in your life going through this and you don't even know that they're going through it because it's it there there is shame attached to it there mm-hmm. is stigma that you know um there's all kinds of stigma around it because um it is such a challenge and it's something that you know you feel like something's wrong with you if you, yeah. if it's not just working or it's not happening naturally and right. and you don't want to be faced with you know people in your life saying the wrong thing or something that's mm. going to hurt because it's already so painful going through it and just the challenge of not being able to navigate you know the waters and and see the future and and just feeling very stuck in the place of we don't know what what's going to happen and if we're ever going to have kids and that fear really drives a lot I think for for people on this journey I know it did for Mm -hmm. me in a huge way um just that fear like that this isn't going to work and that I'm never going to be a mom and that I'm going to be childless and and so Mm. So yeah, one thing with our support groups I just want to mention is everybody mm-hmm. who we have in a position of a conversation starter, which is what we call our people who are holding the space for the conversations, leading our support groups, is that they have all been through it. So we're okay. not we're not necessarily and and most likely not accredited counselors or therapists or anything like that. Um, in fact, we encourage people who are in that field not to be a conversation starter because they're already doing great work. Mm-hmm. Our conversation starters, we're finding that the journey for them to come back into the space of infertility and hold space for the people going through it, it's actually creating like quite an interesting like healing around the journey. I know for me, like leading a group now, I just feel like being able to support other people going through it gives you this like feeling that, okay, I'm using this pain and this suffering that Mm -hmm. I had and this thing that happened to me to help other people now. And that feels really good. And, and the people who are in the group know, like I've been there, I've been in the trenches, I've suffered through it and I made it, I made it out, you know, and you can too, you know? I think it's really interesting that you've noted that because I do think that's a really important part of healing. A lot of times when people go through a healing journey personally and they come to the other side of it, there is this need to to bring meaning to that, to bring purpose to that. And mm-hmm. if you're sort of paying it forward in that sense of like, 
I can be light or hope for people who might otherwise, um, I could be that oasis, yeah, right? As a, exactly. as a support person. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I think that's so powerful. And, and also, like you say, part of that healing journey, it's like that when you think about grief, even in the stages of grief, it's that acceptance then leads to like this upward turn. Like I yeah. can, I can provide that hopeful perspective. Yeah. When, so. when we were naming our organization and we went on like quite a journey to name it because we we had one name picked out and then we ran into a situation where we couldn't use that name anymore. And so we went on this naming journey. And when we landed on Oasis, um, we I actually looked at the definition before. Uh, obviously, we decided this is the direction we're going to go. The definition is a fertile place in the desert where water is mm. found, not just a like you know a desert or a place where you find water. It's like a fertile place, yeah. and so we believe like the hope that we're we're bringing to the support groups and the, the space that we're holding for people to talk about their journey to get help to get support to find you know to find that is actually fertile as well mm. as hopeful and so oasis just i mean it's just the perfect name for what we're doing and the whole time we were trying yeah. to find this name that depicted the space that is between the waiting the space that is you know between mm-hmm. the the start and the end of the journey and so so we want to be that for our community you know where they find water where they find hope where they find strength just to keep moving through it mm-hmm. yeah and in the midst of a desert and what feels like a very barren land right so yes. like those images work so well mm-hmm. for the the pieces that you're trying to draw together and the picture that you're trying to to paint for the people who you're creating the oasis for right, right. so yeah wow so uh, i think we, we're touching on this a little bit but i want to go a little deeper into what do you sure. think the most important needs are of people so i remember mm-hmm. one of the things that we shared before we started this conversation but was around um, the the day one naming piece. Yeah. And and part of what really tweaked for me when you shared about that was the the idea that it is a there is a cycle to this. Mm-hmm. Right. And and so the the emotional needs, the mental um health needs, the the physical needs, the spiritual needs, all of those yeah. pieces, there's a cyclical nature of this journey. Um, that people sort of ride. I don't know if that's a fair way to put it, but maybe you can speak to that a little bit. Like what, what, as the journey unfolds, what is that like for people experiencing this? And what are are the greatest needs that they have? Yeah, and I I can only speak for myself. And I mean, I've heard lots of stories too of people going through this and and I support people going through it. So I I hear their stories and I hear what their needs are. Everybody's are going to be obviously a little bit different, but there really is this, cycle and I the only word I can use to describe it is a grief cycle mm-hmm. um you know you you get your hopes up you think okay this time it's gonna work you you try for a year that's like sort of the prerequisite to enter into any fertility treatment with a clinic or with a doctor mm-hmm. and then they tell you yeah well you've been trying for a year you're under the age of 35 if you're over 35 then you can try for six months and then you can seek fertility treatment or get a referral from your doctor to your local clinic mm-hmm. and so after that you enter into this oh they're they're telling me it's going to work with an IUI which for those of you that don't know that's interuterine insemination it means they they basically just drug you up to get you to a point where they can just put the semen inside of you and then 
hopefully you get pregnant, they're thinking that there's probably a barrier somewhere that's cervical and they can just get past that and then they can get you pregnant that way. And so they always say, oh, we'll have to do like three to six of those, three to six months of that before they can even move you to IVF. Um, I mean, there's a whole bunch that I'm not telling you like about like what you can ask for and how you can advocate for yourself if you feel like that's not going to work for whatever reason. Um, But that's sort of the path that they put you on. So in terms of the cycles, you get into that first IUI and you think, oh, well, obviously something hasn't been working, but this is going to work. And then it doesn't work. And then you start over and then you and then you start to think, at least for me, I did. What did I do wrong? What did I do to cause Mm. this? How did I, how come it didn't work? Is it because I drank that glass of wine? Did I eat that cookie? Did I, you know, whatever it was, like, why did this not work? Why is it working for everybody else and not for me? How come, like, what can I do? How can I fix this? Because we're such fixers, you know, Mm -hmm. in our day and age in this culture that we are in. And so you just, you blame yourself. And so you get into this cycle of, it is a cycle of, hope and then you you climb that hope and then you fear and then you have anxiety when you're waiting to find out if it worked whatever treatment cycle you're in Mm -hmm. and then it either did work and then there's a whole another level of anxiety and fear around losing the pregnancy losing the embryo losing the baby um and then um if it doesn't work you kind of fall off that hope train again wow. and start over until you so have exhausting i can't it's, even imagine oh, it's exhausting yeah it's so exhausting yeah and and i mean for years people fight through this site these cycles mm-hmm. and they hope again and and then they have a loss and then they muster up some more hope they find something else to hold on to maybe this next time will work maybe this next cycle at the same time the cost of this treatment the cost of fertility treatment is just so astronomical a cycle can range just for the actual treatment for IVF can range between 15 to 20 thousand dollars plus the drugs that you have to take to support the treatment, which can range between three to $8,000 a cycle. And most people don't have coverage through their employer. Ontario covers one cycle when just the IVF cycle at a clinic, there's a usually an 18 to 24 month wait period to get on the funded list. So there's just, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of waiting. It's a lot of stress. And, and for something that you were taught in school will happen, you know, like the sexual education that we get in school is like, protect, 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 you know, take birth control as soon as you're sexually active, you know, stay away from, you know, don't, you will get pregnant. Like you have to be careful. And, and I get that that message is so, so important, but there's no talk about, um, you know, the struggles that you could have and like women's health is such an issue that we don't Mm -hmm. talk about in school and, and what's normal and what's not normal and what to watch out for. And so I think it's just so important for young women, especially to know, like, be in tune with your body, get to know Mm -hmm. your cycle, you know, get to know what is important and and what you can do to support your fertility and, Mm -hmm. and for young men too, Mm -hmm. um, because it is, it can be a male factor, 30% of it is. And so, so yeah, dig in early and, um, and, maybe we can change that statistic at some point. You know, what it, what it makes me think of is just, you know, the, the idea of having the wisdom of our bodies and having mm-hmm. the education to understand how they work. Like I know there's so many women 
who, until they reach a crisis, they don't understand their cycle. They don't really understand. Mm -hmm. They are just trying to avoid pregnancy, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. the, it's sort of this switch. And then they just, uh, you know, often assume it's going to be as we often do in our lives when things Mm -hmm. derail us from how we thought it was supposed to be or how it was going to be. So there's that reckoning of like, oh, this is not going according to what I thought, you know, this seemed Mm -hmm. like it was going to be so easy. And the word like tenacious or like perseverance, like that's coming up as I'm listening to you describe Mm -hmm. what that must be like to, to every month in whatever the current treatment is, try and maintain the, you know, the hopefulness and, and to keep wanting to try, like, there must be so much wanting to just give up and just to, you know, to quit and be like, this is like, I'm like, I'm out. Cause you know, for 10 years, you said your journey was so that's no sprint. I mean, that's a serious marathon. And so just the, the fortitude that people need Mm -hmm. to be on this journey, like, again, understandable that the supports need to be in place to bolster you to scaffold that because it's, it's taking, you know, your heart and soul the whole time and your while your body's going through all this treatment. It's it's an unbelievable thing to imagine. Yeah, it's definitely physical. It's emotional. It's like it affects your mental health. It affects your your family financially. I think the biggest thing for me was navigating the unknown and like mm. not being able to see past, like to, to see the future and feeling stuck because I thought for so long, like, well, what if we get pregnant? What if we, you know, have a baby then? How do I plan for this trip or plan for this career or plan for this work thing or plan? Right. You can't plan anything because you're just like, well, we're doing a cycle then. And so this is going to be, it's so disruptive. Wow. It's so disruptive and just having that constant, like not being able to see the future because the future that you've always pictured is is a baby, you know, a future mm. that you've always pictured is a family. And so- um, not being able to see that and then feeling like you might not ever get there. Um, how do you navigate that when, mm. um, you know, you just, you just try and, you just try and keep enough hope for the next little step of the journey, you know, to get through it and just hope that eventually something works. But there, I think a lot of people do get to a point and I've seen it in our groups so many times where they're like, I think I'm just done. Like, I think mm-hmm. I just don't know what else to do. I don't know. And honestly, I know for me, it was getting to that point that, I don't think it's what made my treatment work. I think that treatment that embryo would have implanted regardless of whether I got there or not. I just know I had a lot less stress and anxiety in that final cycle when I got to mm-hmm. the point that I let go of mm. um, that if this if this doesn't work, I'm going to die. That's how I felt with every mm-hmm. treatment leading up to the last one. I felt like mm. if this doesn't work, I don't know what I'm going to do. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? There was just right. like so much anxiety and stress around it. And then it was finally the last treatment when we had that final embryo. And I decided if this doesn't work, we're going to be childless. We're going to move forward. And my partner and I decided that together. And I just was, it was too much. I was, I was exhausted and, and um, fertility fatigue, they call it. Um, And I got to the point where I was like, I think we need to move forward. I need to move on with our life because I Mm -hmm. just need to be able to plan for the future. And I can't do that if we just stay in the cycle of, of stress and suffering. And so I finally decided I'm going to make a no baby plan. So if this baby, if this right. embryo doesn't stick, I'm going to make a plan that I'm as attached to as 
the plan to have a child and to raise a family together. And so I did that. I started like writing a whole bunch of stuff about the, the future that I could see that didn't include children. And I got attached to that plan so that, and that helped me process what if this doesn't work? You know, right. if this doesn't work, it's, oh, I'm going to be okay. And that was the first transfer and the first treatment in 10 years I went through, or in, I guess it was like eight and a half years at the time, because then we had a pregnancy um, yeah. that I went through that I actually felt like if this doesn't work, I'm actually going to be okay. Wow. And um, up until that point, I had never felt that before. And it was creating that separate, those two plans that, that allow me to like, let go of, you know, if this doesn't work kind right. of thing. So, um, yeah, because yeah. it perpetuate, like you're just perpetually in that limbo, like you're saying, and that's that unknown, that uncertainty, like, can I move forward? Like you're, yeah. you're, you're really stuck. And yeah. so when you're open to it, if the pathway goes this way, or if the pathway goes this way, I'm okay. Yeah. It feels like it, it, it could open you up from a mental health standpoint to not be, not feel that same sort of repression or limitation, mm-hmm. even though it's obviously still what you're hoping for. Yeah. You're starting totally. to build a possibility. And so what I'm thinking of is all that time, all of that emotional, you know, weight of that, all of the relational dynamics related to that, because I'm sure mm-hmm. it's not easy as a couple. I can only imagine that the more support you have, the more, you know, the having the therapist that you see regularly to, mm-hmm. to walk with you through that, you yeah. know, having strong friends and family members, having a support yes. group, like you, you need your community around you mm-hmm. to shoulder that burden because yes. that is, it's too much for one yeah. person, yeah, you know, or one couple, like yeah. t- maybe talk a little bit about how it affects if you're comfortable, you know, the dynamic in your partnership and how yeah. like, the stress of that too on the relationship. Yeah, it's hard. It, I feel like, and I know so many couples that have struggled and it's created barriers in the relationship. And because there's this, you know, blame giving or, or whatever, you know, there's lots of things that can happen in a relationship because of going through this because it's hard and it's struggling. You're seeing your partner and your best friend struggle and and be in mm-hmm. pain. And that's hard. I think for us, we, we got so close through this and we just mm-hmm. like, we asked the hard questions and we said, you know, like, are we going, what do we want to do? We tried to not have conversations we didn't have to have until we were, they were right in our face. And so it was like, okay, well, this is what the doctor saying to do. So let's just talk about this. We didn't just explore every possibility. I actually was like death before IVF, but when we got to like the start, um, cause we have a major male factor fertility. And so it was obviously very one-sided, Um, and so, but that, I mean, that's nobody's fault. There was no blame giving. It was like, this is just unfortunate. And it could have as easily Mm. been me with no eggs, you know, and we see that lots of times too, but I think it's just so important to support each other. And, and, you know, we've, we, we did that in whatever way that we could in, in spending time together and creating space for one another to grieve and have, have space if we needed space and come together when we wanted to. And, and we took a lot of breaks and that's why our journey was so long. That was so important for us to make time, go on trips, go, you know, get like this thing failed. Okay, let's go. I remember right when we found out about our, like the diagnosis, we Mm -hmm. literally like three days later got in the car and drove to South Carolina and spent three days just on a beach, just trying 
trying to process what the heck just happened and how are we going to, what are we going to do? What do we want to do? And we actually ended up um, trying to navigate by at that point, instead of being like, we're just going to move right through to treatment. We actually decided we're going to spend a month and just try and picture our life in two ways. We're going to spend a month picturing our life with kids and see how that feels. And then we're going to picture our life for a month without kids and see how that feels. And then mm-hmm. after a couple of months of trying to imagine it in one of two ways, we came back together. And luckily, we both decided we both couldn't see our life or imagine our life with no kids. Mm-hmm. Um, And so that's when we decided, okay, we're going to go down this road. We will pursue a treatment for my partner mm-hmm. to try and fix whatever the issue was there. And then um, eventually moved on into treatment, but we just took it one step at a time yeah. and um, did what each other was comfortable with. And if we disagreed on something, then we sat with it for a while until we found some common ground and could get on the same page because it's just too important. And at the time does feel long, you know, it does feel mm-hmm. like, um, you know, every month you just are like, I just wanted this baby two years ago and now we're three years in and, and it's still not happening and we're still trying to make decisions yeah. and take breaks. But I just found for us, those breaks were so crucial to the journey. And I I was not somebody that could just go back to back to back to back. I did two back to back cycles at the start of our IUIs. And then I took a like a six month break because yeah. I was like, that's too hard. So I am yeah. not as strong as so many people in our community that just mm. go back to back to back and and they they just like power through. And I just uh, they just mm. amaze me with how how, you know, driven they are to figure this out. And I I was not that strong. <laughs> right. Well, and I think I, I actually think you were attuned to what you needed. And I mean, again, it goes back to that everybody's journey is different. Mm-hmm. And so what does it look like for you to navigate this? And and because one of the factors is how you're doing in yeah. your physical, mental, emotional health. And so yeah. knowing sometimes that you can, you can take a break if you need to take a break. It's not a forever decision to say, I need to press pause. And then we can reconsider again at a later time. I can regroup. I can go to, you know, uh, South Carolina for a few days yeah. and just let myself have that time that it doesn't have to feel. Cause I, I would think that the fertility, particularly for people wrestling with this in, as they're older, you know, maybe yeah. that over 35 group in particular, there would be like a, a sense of hurry or a sense yes, of um, sure. urgency that yeah. is its own kind of pressure. Yes. Right. So When I got to that age, that's when I I started to feel like, oh my gosh, like I have to have a baby before I'm 40. Like, and I was 38 when I had my son, but we started trying at 28. And so at the beginning, I think that's why we kind of just let it cycle the way that it did because I didn't feel the pressure. It's like, we have lots of time. This is going to happen eventually. And then it was like, when they called me a geriatric patient at 36, I was like, wait, what? this is a, like, I didn't realize this was such a problem. Oh yeah. You should do genetic testing. You should do all the things. And I'm like, mm. I still feel like I'm 28. Like, didn't we just start that? You know, like does yeah. one year really make a difference Does six, you know, does that next month I was 34 last month and now I'm 35 or my eggs just all of a sudden terrible. Like it's, yeah. just, it, it just feels like, how is that possible? But it's again, all of the stuff that makes you feel a little bit um, insane on this journey. It makes you feel crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. 
Right. Cause you're, I'm still a very young person. Now I'm a mm-hmm. geriatric candidate and yeah. I switched over in this month. And now all of a sudden there's a whole new set of things I've got to deal with mm-hmm. and a whole new set of pressures. Like it's, yeah, it's hard to quantify all of those things. And like you mm-hmm. say, from, from the support groups, like to have the peer supports who are like, yeah, I'm just that maybe a little bit ahead of you on the journey. Mm-hmm. So I know sure. what those steps are. I can speak yeah. to that. I can validate that. I can, mm-hmm. I can, you know, cry, swear, scream with you about it. Oh, right? yeah. Because mm-hmm. I, I get how frustrating that is. I get how disheartening that is. So yeah. Yeah. Wow. One thing I think about is, you know, the perception of this journey. I think there is a lot of stigma. There is a lot of misunderstanding in the general public. And one of the things that I think is important is like, what kind of empathy or what do you wish like the general public knew about this to build their empathy for your journey? You know, what would you want to say to people who are like, oh, I don't, maybe I know, maybe there are people that I know that are going through this, but I don't know they're going through Mm -hmm. this. And so what do I need to know as a person outside of that experience to be a good support to people within it? Yeah, I love that question, Sarah. And thank you for asking, because it's so important to the people who are suffering through this. Mm -hmm. Because one thing we hear in our support groups is how, you know, family members or friends who are trying to be helpful are just, it's not helpful, whatever things that are said and things that are assumed or, um, you know, it, it's just makes it harder. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to just make a, a point that like the stress that somebody goes through on the infertility journey mm-hmm. has been likened to the same amount of stress that you would experience if you had a cancer diagnosis. Yeah, And so, the stress is just, it's so immense. And for people, you know, feeling like already so stressed, like they're out of control, like they can't make this happen, like it's never going to happen and hopeless. Think about what would you say to somebody who just had a cancer diagnosis or, or any other sort of diagnosis, it's the same thing. And you wouldn't, um, you know, tell that person, well, why don't you just do this? Or why don't you do this? Or I'm sure if you relax, your cancer will go away, you know? And those are the things that, that are said, you know, because everybody has an answer. And, and I mean, pregnancy is a whole other thing, you know, there's the women's bodies and and we're talking about our health and we're talking about, and we're already taking on the guilt for everything that's happening, no matter who, who is to blame, just because that's, that is how, I mean, especially as women, that's how a lot of the time it, it goes. And so, you know, for if you know somebody going through it, I would just highly recommend just sitting with them in the silence and just mm-hmm. being with them on the journey and just supporting whatever way you can and just telling them your story that they're experiencing what they're experiencing mm-hmm. because you can't fix it just like no. they can't fix it. And and there's nothing that you can really say that will help them except this sucks and I'm sorry that you're yeah. suffering and I wish I I wish there was more I could do. Um making suggestions about, you know, why don't you adopt? Like that is a harder and more stressful journey than fertility. That is, I mean, and it's a very common suggestion from people to somebody who's struggling to have a family and it's not necessarily, it's, it's, it's actually not the answer for most people. Mm -hmm. There are lots who, who choose that path. And I love those stories um, that don't go through treatment, but it still doesn't, it's not an answer that anybody right. wants to hear when they're struggling and and they're just hoping for that, you know, for that pregnancy and to experience that um, something that feels like it should be ours 
as a birthright, you know, that should be, you should be able to do this because we were born to do this, especially um, as women, we were born to birth. And so Mm -hmm. having that barrier, it's just so hard. And so, so yeah, I would just, um, I answered the question, I think. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I, 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 It makes me think of a couple of things. One mm-hmm. is like, you know, cautioning people about trying to be the expert in somebody else's life. Yeah. You know, in therapy, we often talk about, you know, in a client-centered approach, which is what we do here at the center. We are not the experts. We have training mm-hmm. to support people, but we are not the experts in that person's life. And so yeah. to insert yourself as an expert, because you know what they need or you're trying to fix it. It's just, it's very diminishing and dismissive mm-hmm. of the person and their experiences. And so, you know, I, I think kind of what you're saying is a lot of how we would counsel people in grief, right. Mm-hmm. To show up for people, right. Yeah, just to, totally. to sit with them, to be present with them, to let mm-hmm. them tell you whatever they need to tell you, to listen, to yeah. validate their experience not Mm -hmm. to offer platitudes or like to spiritually bypass them or, you know, to, to minimize the struggle or seek to solve it because there isn't, there isn't a solution. That person is on their own journey to find their own way and their own solutions. That's, Mm -hmm. they're not looking to you for that. They're looking to you for kindness, for love, for support, for presence with them as they struggle. And I think too, just cautioning in this generation, don't ask somebody when they're having kids, like, because so many times somebody's already on this journey and it's already struggling and it's like, oh, are you going to have kids or when do you want to have kids? Mm -hmm. And that is just like such a trigger Mm -hmm. for somebody. And so I love the question, like, do you want the opportunity to have kids or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like do you think you like, do you picture your life with a family? I honestly would just stay away from it. But if you were going to rephrase it, if you really Mm -hmm. need to know, don't throw it in somebody's face, especially if, you know, they've been married a while or, or whatever. It's just such a personal journey. Mm -hmm. And if they want to talk about it, they will. Yeah. If they don't, then they need to be respected to have that space to just hold that close to them and, and cause they are suffering. Like at the end of the day, they are yeah. suffering. They are in pain and it is so hard. And there are so many triggering things on the journey. Um, and I mean, you, you mentioned grief and honestly, like, I don't know if there's any other cycle of grief that you can compare to infertility in that journey, because it's actually a cycle of grief that never finishes when you're Mm -hmm. on it, when you're in it, because you never get to the point where you can actually resolve until you've had that baby. I know for me, like I didn't connect to my pregnancy until I was like 25 weeks pregnant. And then I was like, Oh crap, I'm going to have a baby in a few weeks and a few, in a few months. And I'm not ready because I hadn't I, it took me so long just to get to that point. And then my, my postpartum for the whole year, like first year of my son's life, like I literally was just working through the trauma that I had right. experienced and trying to process the grief that I had, cause it was still there, but now right. I have this baby that I have to connect to. And I'm supposed to be, you know, like it's, it, it's just a lot for somebody who's struggled through that journey to then um, have to finalize the grief cycle and feel right. like it's still kind of there. <laughs> well, you can't <laughs> you know? just flip a switch. Oh, I have a baby. Therefore, the last 10 years of of trauma and journey is just, Mm -hmm. it's just going to go away because it's culminated in this baby, you know? Mm -hmm. So, 
So just really being honest about the fact that the journey is also the postpartum mm-hmm. um, and to be mindful of that in, yeah. in how you're navigating postpartum mm-hmm. as well as someone who's yeah. had a fertility journey. Yeah. And I'll jump in there and say, we do have virtual support groups for pregnancy and for postpartum after infertility, just okay. because we want to support the person the whole way through from diagnosis to pregnancy through to Mm -hmm. postpartum and beyond to as as long as you feel like you need to talk about this and and work through it and um, Mm -hmm. because the triggers are still there I still sometimes get triggered by a pregnancy announcement and it's like two and a half years postpartum I haven't done a fertility treatment for three and a half years and it just still feels like whoa that can still the body remembers hard thing yeah totally Mm -hmm. Just to circle back briefly to your comment about like, when are you having kids or, you know, just being really sensitive to the fact that Mm -hmm. this is often something that people are actually struggling with very silently. Mm -hmm. Another comment that I often think about is the, the just one or the only one. Right. So I'm a mom of four. And so I'm blessed with four beautiful children. And I, Mm -hmm. I'm thankful every day for that. But at the same time, I think the tendency would be to, be like, oh, like, don't you want more children, right? Because I wanted more children. And to be, to catch myself and be like, okay, this one child could have, we don't know the story of this one child, right? And so not wanting to minimize that either for people who are choosing to have a child, whether that's by choice or not by choice, just being sensitive to like, we come at things from our perspective and how can we oh, do you just have one child? Do you only have one child? Like those questions I would think would mm-hmm. be triggering as well. Yeah. You know? Oh, I get, I feel like even right now, like at my age and people knowing my child is two and a half, they're like, oh, when's the next one coming? Or like right. people that don't know my story. And and that is so triggering because I wanted more children. I would have loved a bigger family, sure. but that's not going to be our story. And I've just decided to live with that grief yeah. and that's okay. Like I'll, I will, I am, I will move through it and be okay. Mm-hmm. Not having a bigger family, but like that was always my dream, having a bigger family. Um, but I decided right. to let it go and and move forward with the one perfect, perfect little human that we have to raise mm-hmm. and that we're just so fortunate to to have. And um, yeah, I'll just leave a little bit of that wound open so that I don't forget what it felt like to be in that place because I want mm-hmm. I want that to fuel my passion to help other people. Mm-hmm. And but yeah, it, it is. People do ask all the time, you know, when's the next yeah. one? And I've got to the point now where I feel safe to say like, oh, maybe you don't know my story, but we actually struggled for 10 years to have the one. And so we're not going to have any more. People yeah. take a step back and say, oh, I didn't know. And it's like, yeah, that's right. You didn't know. And so maybe you should think twice before yeah. you ask the question. Question. Um, but I think but that's, I mean people wish well. Like I think they're asking it for it's not, you know, for for bad reasons. They're asking sure. it, but it is, it's still, I think, important for people to hear that. Just be sensitive. I, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, in in all of those sorts of situations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a very personal and, thing. And don't make assumptions about it. And also, like you say, at your stage in the journey, you're comfortable to respond back to that. But I could mm-hmm. imagine a lot of people who are still in that journey, maybe they do have a child and they're still trying for a second child, but also still in that journey. Oh yeah. Like they're not going to maybe feel like they have the words or even the emotional resolve to respond to someone. So it's an interesting conversation to think about just to have a greater degree of awareness back to that Mm -hmm. one in six, possibly more Mm -hmm. how there's a lot of people around you that are struggling 
with this. Yeah. This is not a small thing. I think the stat for mental health is one in five right. or something like that. So this is a very, very common challenge for people. And so building that yeah. empathy, building that sensitivity, you know, I think it's super important. Um, and these conversations are helping to do that. So a couple, couple of questions to wrap this up. One thing I would love to hear is what would you want to say to someone who finds themselves on this difficult road? What's the encouragement um, you would have for them? And maybe also what are the resources that you have at Oasis available mm-hmm. for them? So maybe we yeah. can tie that question together. Yeah, thank you for asking that. Um, I would just encourage people to take it one day at a time, one minute at a time. Sometimes if you're in that two week wait where you're like waiting for that pregnancy test, you know, Mm. announcement, waiting for that um, result, just one day, one minute at a time, lots of deep breaths, lots of, you know, just trying to distract yourself. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I say that a lot, like just, you know, do the things that you need to do so that you feel in control of whatever you can control because right. there is so much of being out of control. And I don't like to use the word crazy, but you do like feel like sometimes you're going out of your mind trying to control the things. So just focus on what you can control. And that mm-hmm. is going for a walk, snuggling your puppy, watching a sad movie and cry it out. Like mm-hmm. just do whatever you need to do to get from one day to the next day when you're in the real thick of it. And and um, just know that the journey is long and hard, but we're here. If you want to connect, we would love to connect with you. We have space for you to come talk, vent. Venting is so much of what we do. We mm-hmm. keep the space positive in our support groups. We always come back to positive. We always end with a question that everybody answers every week, every month, sorry, to talk about, you know, where are we at? How did you feel coming in? How are you feeling now as you're leaving? You know, we have a question every month. It always changes. And um, I think just for people to to know that there is a place to come and talk mm-hmm. and to come and let it out and and feel the things and know that other people there will get it and will have felt those things too. Mm-hmm. Nothing you're feeling right now is unnormal. It's all normal to feel yeah. like triggered by things, to feel like you're not happy for your neighbor who just got pregnant or had their baby or, you know, that's okay. And yeah. um, just take it one day at a time. Yeah. And if, yeah, if you want to find Oasis, mm-hmm. um, we are in five cities currently, but expanding rapidly. You can find all the information about our support groups on our website, which is oasisfsn.com. We are also on all the social media channels at Oasis FSN or on Facebook, Oasis Fertility Support Network. We have a support group group that's on Facebook if you want to join. We have okay. virtual support groups for infertility, for secondary infertility. So if you got pregnant after the first time and now you're struggling, that is a whole other can of worms because you're like, yeah. wait a minute, this worked for us the first time. So what is going on? Um, right. So definitely that is a, we have a group for that. We have a group for pregnancy and postpartum after infertility. Um, and then again, growing very quickly across Canada, hopefully into the new year where um, we'll be able to support people all over this country who are experiencing um, infertility and struggling wow. through this. Well, I just think this is such important work uh, that you're doing. And I would encourage people to hop on oasisfsn.com. If you look up Oasis Fertility Support Network, you're going to find it in wherever the places are that you like to 
to inhabit. I know I follow a lot on Instagram because that's where my platform is. We have information here at Covey Wellness Center as well as some brochures that you can take or that you can, mm-hmm. um, you know, even take to provide to somebody as a support, um, yeah. you know, to make sure that people know this is available to them. Mm-hmm. And is it fair to say that the services are free of charge? Completely? I was just going to say, I want to okay. make sure I say everything. We are a not-for-profit. We're working on our charitable status. And so you can make a donation to our organization if you feel so led. We do have fundraisers up and coming for next year um, and and at the end of this year. So feel free to get involved in that way. Mm -hmm. We are always looking for volunteers for our committees. We have a growing board of directors to support and operate the organization because we are all volunteers currently um, Mm -hmm. until we grow to the point where we can hire hire some people to run the thing. So Mm -hmm. um so yeah, get involved. Um, we have lots of opportunities. Just reach out yeah. um, through the web and we, we we would love to have you yeah. as part of the organization or, yeah. but the groups are free. All of our services are free. Yeah. We also have, I should mention this too, as part of our fundraising initiatives, we have merchandise on our website that right. is supportive to somebody on their journey. So we have, and everything's um, pineapple branded because the pineapple is sort of the symbol for the fertility community because it's the, it's the, the uh, natural vitamin and chemical in the pineapple that is supposed to be supportive to fertility naturally. And so the fertility community has kind of just grabbed onto this and, and run with it. And so now when you see pineapple on a, on a shirt, or, I mean, we have pineapple earrings and hoodies and tank tops and candles and all this kind of beautiful stuff. So you're welcome to, to purchase something from our, our little shop online to support somebody on their journey. We also have cards that say infertility sucks and it's okay not to be okay. And that is supportive to somebody on their journey. If you don't know what to say, then that would be um, an easy way to, yeah. Yeah. I love that. And that's expanding all the time. I know Erin, since we had our first conversation about what you were doing, this has just started to just snowball. And I know it's going to keep growing because again, the need is there and you're saying Mm -hmm. we're here to meet that need. We know that it's financially taxing for people to be going through this. So we don't want their support to also be a financial burden to them. And so we just love referring people to Oasis for free supports. If you want to support them, you can purchase off their website. Um, Some of the merchandise, you can use that as a yourself. Um, And I, you know, I noticed what you were doing a vigil um, at one point and just using the candle as a way to light and remember and pray for and care for and send Mm -hmm. love to people that are going through this or who have lost Mm -hmm. um, pregnancies. And it's just, there's just so many ways that you can support small or large. Maybe it's you're listening to this today and you're, you know, your heart is for this because of your own journey or because of someone you love and you just want to show up, just reach out and get involved in some way. There's going to be a way that you can support what's happening. Um, and so I would encourage you to do that for sure. And if you have any questions, again, we do have info here at Covey Wellness Center. You can come and grab a brochure um, and uh, and get connected that way. So we definitely I'll also, will um, do that. I'll also plug our podcast because we did start oh, a podcast right. too. And so yes. you can also, the, the stories, that's like an entry level of support for somebody going through this. Just right. listen to our podcast. We're telling stories of infertility. So we're telling yeah. the stories from our community and just so that you can find something to grasp onto that maybe you can relate to on your own journey. So yeah, it's always it's our Oasis too. Fertility Podcast. So so uh, available on all, awesome. all podcast channels. So yeah. 
So we'll put all that stuff in the show notes as well for people. So it's easy reference. And of course, at Cubby Wellness Center, we're doing this podcast because we have a heart for people going through these challenges and we can support couples or individuals here for individual psychotherapy or or, uh, counseling for couples um, as needed in and out of the journey, ramping up or ramping down, depending on how you're doing with that. We want to walk with people through this and we have people on our team that are really taking an interest in growing their awareness of this so they can be a strong support um, to people on this journey. So please do not hesitate to reach out to us as well if that's something that's of need for you. Okay, before we wrap up, um, I do want to just ask you the final question. So this is for you personally, Erin, that we ask everybody that comes on, what is keeping you well in this season? (laughs) I feel like I could say so many, I mean, so many things because I was so unwell for so long. So I do feel like there was, there, there is a lot, but to, to be completely honest, like starting Oasis and having this passion project that I just have the Mm. opportunity every day to, to build and be creative with and grow and support other people and bring other people in like that in itself is just, it's such a, it's such a neat support for me, mm-hmm. for my heart, for my mind. It just gives me something to, you know, push, push forward and create. I'm a very creative person and um, I'm a very driven person. And so I think just having, having the ability to, to see the future again is, mm. is helps make me well. Um, mm-hmm. And then obviously having a toddler um, is, right. I mean, there's lots of hard things. It's hard, but for the most part, just um, hearing that laugh daily, just having family mm-hmm. time and being able to have that little family that I always sort of dreamed of, that's definitely keeping me well. Um, and then also, yeah, just, just human connection right now, I feel like is so important. And, and, um, Mm -hmm. um, because of what we've experienced all in the last few years. And, and so just making space for that human connection and, and, um, yeah, that is a big part of it. I love that. Yeah. Human connection time with your beautiful family and celebrating what you can pay forward and how you can, sometimes we talk about, um, having, I don't know if these are the exact right words, but like having a redemptive view of your suffering and being able to see that I went through this really hard road, but now that's giving me passion and fuel mm-hmm. to to care for others. And there's so much meaning and purpose in that. Purpose, um, for sure. And so that purposefulness keeps fueling that energy that you need to keep going. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again for coming on the podcast today, for telling us about Oasis, for sharing a bit of your story for encouraging people who are going through this, that they are not alone, that there are resources, there are people who care, um, that this is a growing um, conversation that many people are having in their families, in their couples, as individuals. And we want to make sure that we're talking about it so we can decrease, just like with everything else with mental health, that we can decrease that stigma and make sure that people have hope and support um, and connection for their experiences. So thanks for speaking to that, Erin. It was really lovely to have you on the podcast. I know we probably could go on for another hour um, (laughs) about the the things that are exciting, but I know people are going to tune into your podcast and reach out and get connected to your organization. And we're happy to support that here at the center as well. So thanks again for today. And to everybody else, thanks for tuning in. Please share this podcast if it's helpful, if you feel um, it's going to be an encouragement to other people. um, Please do share that. You know, if you are able to provide um, rating, it helps people find us. So anything that you can do to spread the word as well. Part of this is to carry that 
um, conversation forward. So um, please do share if you feel it's helpful. And thanks again for coming. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Okay, take care.